We're honored to bring the word to you, Pastor Jonathan and Verna. Thank you for giving us this opportunity together. Thank you for committing to do this with me. Uh, we're going to have some fun today. Today is our last Sunday in Family Month. I hope you have taken advantage of all the great teaching, all the great resources. Our pastors two weeks ago, man, they brought an amazing message. Would you make some noise for them? Let them know how much you love them. That message is on the website, all of our messages. And then last week, we had Dr. Caroline Leaf with us. If you weren't with us, or maybe you were with us, you need to go back and watch it again. It was kind of, it was kind of mind-blowing. It was like drinking from a fire hose. I think that's one of those messages that for most of us, uh, we should go back and listen to it and feed on it and meditate on it. So much good stuff in there. Let me pray for you, and we'll jump into this. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this moment that you set aside. I thank you for each and every person, each and every one of your sons and daughters and the families that are represented in this house and around the world that are watching today. Lord, I ask that you use Steph and I to encourage them to lift their spirits, to inspire them and challenge them to lock in to your plan for their family, your plan for their life, your plan for them as an individual. Lord, we thank you that as we apply your word, it sets the course for our destiny. And Holy Spirit, we invite you into this room, into this conversation. I ask you to give Steph and I boldness as we declare your word. Remind us of the stories, the scriptures, the illustrations that you placed in our heart all month preparing for this moment. And Lord, we, we give you all the glory. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. As, as we begin to prepare and talk about this message over the last few weeks, this quote came up to me that I've heard and you've heard probably throughout your whole life, and it's this, if you don't stand for something, you will fall for If you don't stand for something, you're going to fall for Today, we want to talk about taking stands as a family. We're going to talk about what does it mean to take a position in Christ as an individual so that you can fulfill the destiny and plan that God has for you. You know, when we came here six years, almost six years ago now, and began to join this house, we began to hear a statement that I hadn't ever really heard before from a pastor. And our pastor said this to us. They said, Josh and Steph, we're really not trying to build a great church. That's, that's not what we're doing here. And I thought, what are you trying to do here? And they said, we're trying to build great families. Families and people are the church. And so we have a phrase here. It's not about building a great church. It's about building great people. And so today our prayer is that we're going to give you some tools, some practical things to help you build some foundational values so that you as an individual and as you as a family can succeed in all that God has for you. I want to say this caveat right here at the beginning because there's people in here and you say, well, I don't have a family. I'm just a teenager. Let me tell you something. There will come a day where you will have a family and you will want to know that you've set your values before that day arrives. And all the parents said, maybe you're single here. Maybe you're here and, and, and saying, I'm just doing life alone. How more important it is you set your values for yourself so that when you meet that person, you know who you are. I meet so many young people that let their values go based on they met this guy or this girl, and now they become a different person. The truth is, is that God has values for you right now. And I'll tell you, if you're single, make sure that your values line up with that person you're dating. You know, Steph was and is a beautiful woman. I was attracted to her. 
And all the men said, amen. We want to be attracted to our wives. But here's the thing, you know what? It wasn't so much about that is I was attracted to the values that she had placed in her life as a 19-year-old girl. I was like, man, she, she got her stuff together. And I want to challenge you, values are important when choosing our spouse. And so today we want to talk to you about setting family values because we believe they're the building blocks for building great families. Right, so values are determined as, or defined as, a person's principles or standards of behavior, one's judgment of what is important in life. And as followers of Jesus, if we do not define our values based on what the word says, then culture is definitely going to have no problem defining them for us. So what should set us apart as children of God is the fact that we build our life upon and we uh, hold these core values that are all based on the Word of God. When we establish our values, it helps us to live in a mode where we are on the offensive, not on the That's defensive. Right where we advance instead of retreat. You know, we are not here to be beaten down by everything that happens in the world. We are here to be on the front lines, right. to live fearless, to live empowered. It's our um, opportunity and our choice to activate God's power in our lives. And if you've set these values based on the word in your life, then when things happen, you will filter those things through your values and you won't be swayed. Yeah. Our values are our guardrails, our standards, and our boundaries. So you could be 16, 17, 18. You need to establish these values because as you leave home, as you go out into the world, uh, your realm of influence is gonna have no problem telling you what you should believe and what you shouldn't believe. But if you know in advance, know this, these are my values, this is what I hold dear, you'll be able to stand strong. And in your 20s, when you're experiencing life and it's not everything that you thought it would be, and you might be disappointed or discouraged or not as far along as you thought, instead of altering your values, instead of altering your uh, standards, you're going to hold true to your values and say, no, yeah. this may not be what I thought, but I know what I believe. Right. Amen. And then when you're in your 30s and you're looking around and all of your friends are in a season of life that you are not there yet... You're not going to change what you believe to morph to what you're experiencing. Right. You're going to take your experiences and pull them in through your values, through what the Word of God says. You know, we find this in Exodus chapter 20, the first time that we see values being said is God speaking to Moses for the children of Israel. He gave them 10 commandments. He said, these are the values you should live by. Yes, you're free, but make sure that you've set some guardrails so you don't go back to that mentality in that way of living. This is biblical that we set values in place, amen? We find this again in the New Testament where Jesus sets values for us. And in Matthew 22, we find the, the disciples are being challenged and there's people saying, Jesus, you know, which one of the commandments is the greatest? You know, society's always trying to pigeonhole Christians, trying to get us pushed around and he kind of torts back, he said, that's so easy. He said, oh, this is so easy. Don't worry about the 10, just worry about two. If you can love God and love people, guess what? You'll fulfill all 10. Yeah. And I want to remind you of that today. The values that we build upon start with those. Number one, do you love God? And do you love people? The core of who we are as believers and the reason that we have these values is we understand we've been loved even when we were unlovely. 
We have a God that's loved us and he's called us to love those around us. He was saying, if you can live by these, you're gonna be successful. And so today we thought we'd have a little bit of fun. We, we call ourselves the Roberts tribe. That's kind of the name we've given our family. And we've done this. We've taken principles and values that we were raised by and some that the Holy Spirit has inspired us through others. And so today we're gonna give you a few of our core values and our prayer is that you would be inspired that you would be challenged. And I'm not asking you to adopt our core values, but I pray that today you would begin to take some notes on paper, on your iPad, or even in your heart and say, you know what? Maybe we need to set some more clear boundaries so that we fulfill the destiny that God has for our life. Yes. All right, so our first value is we are word first people. Yes, we are. We trust in the word of God no matter what happens. We are not moved by situations or circumstances. You know, God's word is greater than our emotions, our feelings, and our circumstances. We have to take those things that we're feeling, we have to take those things that, we, um, that are happening to us, and we have to take them through the word, yeah. right? I am not everything that I feel. That's I right. am a child of God. Yep. And then I take what I'm feeling to the word, and I, if it doesn't line up with the word, then I've got to work through it and find out what's going on and apply the word to my life. Matthew 7 says, these words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who built his house on a solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. But if you just use my words and Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you are like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. When a storm rolled in, when the waves came up, when the pandemic hit, it collapsed like a house of cards. No, God's word does not tell us to build our lives on our experiences or our feelings. It tells us to build on the rock, which is his word. The storms are going to come. The rain is going to fall. The wind, the waves, it's all going to happen. We can't think any of that to be strange. But what we can do is choose to build our life on the rock, which is the word of God. You might get a doctor's report. You might get those overdue bills. You might have rebellious children. Your marriage might be rocky. You might be in the midst of depression and anxiety and worry and loss and grief and all of these things. But you have to have been building your life on the rock, on the word. And when those things come, your house will not fall. Yeah. It can fall if you choose not to build on the word. But we've got to do this in advance. We, and that's why we've chosen to be word first people yeah. because we know those experiences, life is going to happen, but we know what to answer with when life happens. I had just, I'm going to give you an example of this. I had just finished my kindergarten year and I'd had some symptoms and challenges in my body and my parents had made an appointment at the hospital the next day, and it was a Sunday night, and I was sitting on my mom's lap in church, and um, she was just holding me. She had her eyes closed. She was praying, and as she was uh, just talking to God, she felt someone sat down next to her, and just a yucky feeling came over her, and she heard in her ear, she's going to die. 
And in that moment, my mom had a choice. Had, her, had she built her life and my life, therefore, on a rock? Or was she gonna go with what that thought instilled, which was fear? And right then, out of her mouth, she said, no, she's not going to die. She's going to live, and she's going to declare the works of Jesus. She answered that thought with the word of God. The next day, I went to the hospital and was diagnosed with leukemia. But my mom had already declared the word of God over my life. She had built that foundation, and we walked through it, and we're victorious. But choosing to build your life on the word, on that rock, can be a matter of life and death, not just for you, or not just even for your family, but for those that are in your realm of influence. We have got to be people who, well, we choose to be people who build our lives on the word. Absolutely, we're word first people. Number two, the Roberts tribe, we're pioneers and not settlers. We're pioneers, we've decided this, When we met each other, we had already traveled to dozens of nations. We were traveling to dozens of states, helping other people plant churches. We decided when we got married, this is going to be our life. We know that God's called us to pioneer and to go first, not to settle. We decided when we got married, we we love life, and we're not just going to endure life. We're going to thrive in every season. And I want to challenge you today. Maybe this is a core belief or a core value that you need to adopt. It's, It's our mandate for the year. Have the courage to pioneer. And I want to extend that again today in this service because I believe for the last seven months, the Holy Spirit through every message has been calling us up to say, we need more pioneers. We need more people who will step out on the edge and live by faith, who will go first. You know, we decided that for us uh, many years ago. One of my favorite, favorite stories of, of the great Dr. Livingston is when he went to Africa for his first missionary journey, he got a letter after he arrived, and it was from his family, and they said, Dr. Livingston, have you found a good road in yet? Because we have men who are ready to come. And he wrote back, and he said, if they're waiting for a great road to come, tell them to stay home. We're looking for men who will come if there's no road at all. You know, when I read that statement years ago, something like bottle rockets went off in the inside of me and I said, that's who I am. That's who God's called us to be. And so we've declared this over our family. Our kids know, hey, dad's, he's a little crazy. Mom, she's she a little out there. We let them know, hey, we're not like everybody else. We're, we're go first people. Yeah. I was talking to Hunter a, a, a few weeks ago. He was doing ninja camp. He's six. We have, we have a six-year-old son, a two-year-old daughter, and a 10-month-old little boy. And Hunter is going to ninja camp right down here at, at the gymnastics place. And I said, what's, what's the favorite thing? And he said, oh, well, there's some stuff that, that none of the boys want to do. And I said, like what? He said, like, like there's this really tall ladder, and, and nobody wants to do it. And I said, well, did you do it? And he said, no, I'm not going to do it if nobody else is doing it. And I said, son, you're a pioneer. You're a go-first kind of guy. I said, today, I said, I was coaching him. I said, and by the way, we need to have these coaching moments with our kids, dads. I said, listen, you're not waiting for somebody else to climb the ladder first. When the teacher says, hey, we're going to do this. I said, you push the kids next to you and say, step aside. I got this. <laughs> he said, what? I said, you step up and go first. He said, I know, but I, I don't, I don't, uh, uh. I said, son, you were built for this moment. And I said, I guarantee if you climb that ladder, all those other little ninjas are going to follow you up there. He got back after class in the car. I said, how'd it go? He said, I told him, step aside, watch this. (laughs) 
Listen, you can instill the spirit of faith in your kids at an early age so that when God calls them to do something great later on in life, they won't cower down. They'll say, of course, that's who I am. I'm a world changer. I'm a pioneer. I'm a go-getter. So we've decided we are a go-first kind of people, and our legacy will be those Roberts people, they were ones that went first. So good. And number three, our value is we are made to do hard things. Yep. You know, everything God asks you to do, he has enabled you to do. Everything that the word says that you can do, everything God asks, you're able to do it. And there's a misconception that if it's hard, it isn't God. And that's just not true. It's hard to walk in love. I don't, I don't know about you, with, whether it's my two-and-a-half-year-old, um, my husband, hey, or anyone. It can be really hard to walk in love. The guy that cuts you off when you're driving. Yep. You know, th- someone throws shade, you want to throw it back. It it's, it's, can be hard, but we were built to do hard things. We've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.11 says, The same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. He who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, one of the things that we have to understand is we're not enough. You're not enough. I'm not enough. We were not made to handle the cares and the pressures and the experiences of this world in our own strength. You're not strong enough. You're not smart enough. You're not good enough doesn't matter. You're not successful enough. None of it. We have to learn to rely on the one who actually is enough, and that is Jesus. The word says it's not by my might. It's not by my power, but it's by his spirit. The very same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. If you have chosen Jesus as the Lord of your life, that's in you, and you can do the hard thing. You can have the hard experiences and walk through them. You can ask the Holy Spirit for help. I'll give you a practical example. A few years ago, uh, we had a miscarriage, and it was something that completely took me by surprise. I don't know, not like you plan for those things, but it was more than a punch in the gut. It was like the rug was pulled out from underneath me, and I was looking up thinking, oh my God, what, what just happened? What just happened? Like we had a nursery painted. We told Hunter. Like we, this was a big deal. We were, something we were wanting and believing God for. And I was so um, just uncertain. And I had the opportunity to sit there in my in my mess, in my grief, in my depression, in my why, and and say, God, look at this. Like what's going on? Would you would you do here, or? I could instead go through a hard thing with my father. I could go sit with my Jesus. I could go sit with my father and say, God, like, this hurts. I'm hurting. My heart is broken. This is wrong. This is not who you are. This is not what was supposed to happen. And instead of sitting in my mess and trying to interject God into it, instead I sat with my God. I sat with my father and asked my father to help me through a mess. Help me through this hard time. Help me through this difficulty, this thing that is so contrary to I know who you are. I'm not going to change what I believe because of what I've experienced. I'm going to take what I've experienced to you and say, help me, heal me. 
there's a reality in that for every single one of us that has experienced something uh, depressing, defeating, traumatic. There is pain in that. There is suffering there, but Jesus is right there in it with us, and we'll, we are not called to stay there. You are not called to stay in your grief, in your depression, in your trauma, in your loss. You are called to rise up and be the child of God that you are already destined to be, to walk through that difficult season and know that now, in turn, you can help someone else walk through their difficult season. You are not the sum of what have, you've right. experienced. You are a child of God. Yeah. And he has provided a way for you to walk through this life whole, healthy, yes, he not bitter, not depressed, not defeated, but in tune with who you are in him and victorious. Amen. So good, Steph. So the Roberts tribe, we're word first people. We're pioneers, and we know and accept the responsibility. We're willing to walk through hard things. The fourth core value we've established for our family is we're going to be givers, not takers. We're going to be givers, not takers. We learned this from some people around us. I'm going to tell you this. Maybe you don't have core values right now. Get around some people that live life like you do and ask them how they got where they got. I got this from our pastors, watching them for over 40 years personally experiencing their generosity when I was five years old, seven years old, 10 years old, 20 years old, 30, dad coming up, 45 years old, and I've watched for four decades the most generous people I know. I said, I want to be that. So what do we do? We just adopted what they did. said, for us and our family, we're going to be givers and not just takers. We seek everyday opportunities to bless people around us. Now, that may seem weird to you, but we kind of look around. We go through our day. Who, who are we supposed to bless today, Lord? What are we supposed to do today? Who, who are you sending us to? Whether it's somebody we meet at the office, whether it's somebody I meet at the mall, or maybe it's the guy with the sign on the curb. We're no respecter of persons. We're just saying, God, how do you want to use us? Because today we've decided, we know you've called us to, to give. We truly believe in Acts 20, 35 that says, we're going to be much happier giving than getting. You know, there was a season where we were trying to get all kinds of stuff for me and, and it got us into supernatural debt because it's all about me. You know, when you want to get all your stuff because you think that's going to make you happy, it drives you in debt and you actually lose the peace you thought you were going to have. Nobody, just me. You know, when we got married, we were $68,000 in debt because I was the free spirit. Not we, not we. Not we, me. I need that. We need that. And you know what? We made a decision that we were going to give our way out of debt. We purposed in our heart, number one, we were going to honor God with the tithe as we had always done. But we made it just more intentional. It wasn't just a, here's our 10% when we could really use that money. It was, Lord, we're honoring you with this 10%. And we would pray over it and say, Lord, bless the other 90. We started there. Then we said, you know what? Every time money comes into our hand, we're going to sow another amount on top of that as a seed. Yes. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now, you can sow your way out of debt and you can sow your way into happiness. You want to get out of your depression and get out of your funk? Start sowing seed and become a giver. Not just of money, but of time, of energy, of talent, of love, of great words. Man, when you see somebody else smiling because you told them how awesome they are, you find yourself walking away and say, man, I, I feel good too. Yeah. We're teaching our children from day one 
the Roberts tribe, we are givers, not takers. All right, next. We know our life is not our own. We live for an audience of one. I remember being in high school and starting to get stressed out because everyone asks you, what are you going to do with your life? What's next? Where are you going to college? And I'm like, I'm 16. I don't know any of the answers to those questions. And I remember the night I found this verse, um, John 6, 38. It said, Jesus said, I came down not to do my will, but the will of the Father who sent me. And I was like, good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. I am not here to do what I wanna do, I am here to do what God wants me to do. God created each of us to fulfill a specific purpose in his plan. Not our own plan, but his plan. And I wanna read you something um, out of this book, Calling, by our friend Jen Tringale, because she says it's so much better than I ever could. Listen to this. God sired you. He fathered you and called you forth from obscurity and into exact design. He fathered you in purpose, on purpose, and for a purpose. He didn't keep that purpose to himself. He purposed you for influence and function. He proclaimed it and published it. God wrote your purpose before you were born. He knew then the plans he had for you. Listen to this. This took place before your creation, not the other way around. You did not first exist in physical form and then receive a purpose from God. No, in answer to a need, God contrived the idea of you and then audibly called you forth. Listen. In answer to a need, God contrived the idea of you and then audibly called you forth. Yeah. Doesn't matter what your, your, your eight to five looks like, doesn't matter what your work week looks like or any of those things. In answer to a need, he contrived you. So we believe that we're here to meet that need. And I wanna know what that need is and I wanna meet it. And so for us, in our conversations with the kids and Hunter talks about what he wants to be when he grows up and, you know, I want to be the Hulk or I'm going to be a firefighter and a pastor and, you know, all these things. And we always bring the conversation back to God created you for a purpose. You have a specific plan. And what we want is for you to do exactly what God's called you to do. And we're going to do everything in our power to help connect you to that call. And my prayer for them is, you know, God, that they connect with their calling and walk in it in an early age. And I ask the Lord to show me the gifts and the callings in them so that I can pour fire on those. You know, one of the things I say over Emmy is that she uses what she's passionate about to glorify God. I'm going to speak those words over them because a core value for us is that we want them to fulfill their call. We, we want them to know that they're not here to do whatever they want or whatever anyone else wants them to do. We live for an audience of one. Our life is not our own. You know, Steph really helped me with this when we were talking to Hunter the last couple years. The typical question from a parent to a child is, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to do? And we don't realize how much pressure we're putting on them. Because for many of them, they haven't discovered their purpose and then they choose based on the pressure that you put. You know, daddy's a carpenter, maybe you should do that. Daddy's a painter, daddy's a dentist, mama did this. I wanna just challenge you, and we're really helping each other say this. Stop asking your kids, what do you wanna be? And what do you wanna do? 
But as believers, we should be challenging our kids to say, what has God called you to do? What answer do you provide for a problem that exists right now? Listen, when we're word first people, we understand our families are on assignment. We don't get to choose what we want to do with our careers. We don't get to choose where we live. Listen, Boston was on the last list. It wasn't even on the list for us. But because we said, God, where do you want us and what do you want to do for us? He said, I want you to be in Boston. It was easy to answer the call because it wasn't about us. We're answering to an audience of one. That's free right there, by the way. We're not going to charge you for that. Number six, our sixth core value for the Roberts tribe is we know who we are and we know who we're not. And many people have identity problems because they don't know who they are and they allow everybody and anybody to tell them who they should be and they struggle with this. Every day, Steph and I confess the word of God over our lives as individuals and over our family and our children and our children and our children. That song goes on by forever. And our children's children and our children's children. You know, we do that. We do that methodically on purpose because we want our kids and our kids and our kids and our grandbabies to know who they are at an early age so that when somebody tries to tell them something other than what God says they are, it's easy for them to say, no, I know that ain't me. I'm a child of the king. I'm blood bought. I'm sanctified. I'm redeemed. I'm free from all that stuff. I love our pastor and shared this message or this illustration a week or two ago about the FBI agents who detect fake money. You know, they don't spend their time handling all the fake money as you would think. They spend the majority of their time handling real money, feeling it, touching it, studying it, so that when the fake shows up, it's easily identified. For us, we are going to instill in our kids who they are from an early age so that some guy doesn't try to talk my daughter into something else. And all the dads said, listen, it's our responsibility to tell them who they are. And show them who they are in the word. I like this. James 1.22 says, don't merely listen to the word and be deceived. Do it for anyone who listens to but does not do is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror. And after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets who he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives us freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. We believe as the Roberts that the more we look into the word, the more we're going to find out who we really are. For us, we've decided for us in our house, we know who we are. And it's easy to say, no, that's not for us. I love the statement that you said many years ago, and you've said it to this day, for some may, for us, we may not. It's so important that we instill in our kids who they are. So when they leave the house, they leave with a confidence in the calling and the purpose and nobody distracts them or detours them. And all the parents said, amen. Amen. Number seven. All right. Our final one. We believe in the impossible. Yes, we do. Luke 137 says, with God, nothing is or ever shall be impossible. Luke 18, 27 says, but he said, Jesus said, the things that are impossible with people are possible with God. Matthew 19, 26, Jesus said, with people, 
as far as it depends on them, it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. As children of God, we are not of this world. We are not bound by the situations and the circumstances and the experience and the emotions and the labels and everything else that people put on us or that we experience. Every single day, we hear thousands of messages that are not built on the Word of God, right? Our kids have access to messages that are not built on the Word of God, and they are getting them earlier and earlier and earlier. We have to stand firm in the fact that we know who God is, we know who we, we are, and we believe that He is able to do the impossible. That's right. There is nothing that we ever encounter that God does not know how to handle. When we feel pressure, when we feel bound or stuck, that is our indication to run to God and to declare that nothing is impossible with Him. Nothing is impossible with Him. You know, our Heavenly Father just wants us to take Him at His word. He just wants us to trust what He says. But every single day, what we hear is so contrary to that. Generationally, you can say, well, you don't know how long I've battled addiction. You don't know how long I've had these thoughts. You don't know all about the tendencies and the urgencies, the, ur- the urges and all these things that I have. You don't know how long I've fought them or dealt with them. This is just who I am. It would be impossible to change. Listen, nothing is impossible with God. That's right. You are not the sum total of any of those things. You are a child of God. And we have the responsibility to rise up and act like a child of God, to stand on the Word of God, to take Him at His Word, to choose to believe that He can do the impossible, no matter what the doctor's report says, no matter what generations behind say, no matter what culture says. Listen, we're not living in a time where what we do is gonna look like everybody else. And that's okay. We're not supposed to blend in. We are light. We're supposed to stand out. We're not supposed to taste the same as everyone. We're salt. We're here to preserve, to make things better. We're not the same, and that's okay. We don't have to be the same. And we need to instill in our kids and and the younger generations that it's okay that we're not the same. But we know who we are. We know who we belong to, and we know that God can do anything that His Word says that He can do. He just wants to believe. The Jesus, He just wants us to believe. The Jesus of the Bible is the Jesus of today. Healings, miracles, provision, restoration, deliverance, freedom, all of these things He wants to do today. He wants to do them in your life, but He wants to do them through you because you have neighbors and coworkers and family members and friends who need to know this God. They need to meet Jesus, and the only way some of them are going to do it is through you. You know, this is one that's super important to us. We believe in the supernatural. Yes. You know, for us, we believe our family. We believe in the miracle working power of God. Yes. And unless our kids hear about the miracles that have happened in our lives, they won't expect it. As a church, I want to encourage you, begin to talk about those things that God has done in the past. 
so that your kids can have expectation of what he's going to do right now. It's easy for us to talk about the miracles that are coming for our family because we've already walked through so many miraculous situations and I can't wait for our kids to step in and begin to see miracles happening in their life because we set this as a value in our house. We believe the impossible. All things are possible to the Roberts tribe because we're anchored in Christ Jesus. Closing, I want to ask you a couple questions. Number two, number one of you, should ask number one before number two. Number one, do you have values that you've written down for your family? What was the last time that you talked about the values of who you're called to be? Maybe you're watching online and this is new to you. I want to challenge you to begin to have the discussion today, maybe even at lunch, like, what are our values? What would people say about us? Or better yet, what would we want people to say about us? Maybe some of the values that we shared today, we give them to you freely. Maybe there's some values that, that you're gonna find from other people. I wanna just challenge you. This is a do-it-yourself kind of sermon today. How to. But I wanna encourage you, do it. Make it clear, write it out. We're in the process right now of getting these printed out so we can put them in our house. So when we have these conversations, we can say, well, there's Hunter and Emmy, that's in cash. That's, that's why we believe this because this is part of mommy and daddy and the Roberts tribe. This is part of our family values. What are your convictions? What are the things that shape the way you think and act and talk and interact with other people? Because here's the thing, your values are your roots. And they determine your fruits. So if you don't have any values and you just look around and you just live in life, bumping into this and bumping into that, I can tell you this, you're not gonna produce much. And we as believers have been called to produce fruit. I look at our pastors and see the fruit in their life. It goes evident, it's way down deep that for decades and decades they've landed roots and values so that today we could see the fruit in their life. I want that in my life. I pray you want that in your life. Matthew 7, Jesus said, they shall know you by your There's no fruit without a root. I'm gonna ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes today. I'd love to just finish this out and pray for you. And maybe you're here today and you say, man, this is, this is thought-provoking or I'm stirred. Take it and run with it. Ask the Holy Spirit. Invite him into your conversation. If you're a single person, what kind of life do you want to live? Where do you want to go? Who do you want to be? Write that stuff down and hold on to it tight. Maybe you're married and it's been a long time since you've talked about the values. Maybe it's time to sit down with the kids and explain why mommy and daddy do what they do or why they don't do what they don't do. I believe as you invite the Holy Spirit into this conversation, he's gonna help you set some guardrails and get some focus for the fruit that he wants to produce in your life. Maybe you're here today and this is all new. It starts with a relationship with Jesus. You can only produce God kind of fruit when you have a God kind of root. I challenge you today in just a few minutes when we dismiss, there's gonna be a prayer team here at the altar. They'd love to pray with you. Come down and say, man, I need that Jesus. I, I, need, to, I need to change my root system. I, I need a new foundation. I was inspired today. I was challenged today. We got great people that are gonna be here at the end, right here at the front. They would love to pray with you. Father, I thank you for each and every person here in the house and watching online. Father, we thank you that your plan is perfect for them. Holy Spirit, we ask you to speak to them, nudge them, be the guide they need.
set these guardrails, Holy Ghost, give them boldness to declare who they are and who they're not gonna be. Lord, we thank you for your, your grace on our life. Even when we jump the guardrail sometimes, you always bring us back with love, and kindness, grace, and mercy. I thank you, Father, for each and every family that they're blessed, they're favored. In Jesus' name, amen.